Welcome to the Rising Lioness podcast on All About Animals Radio, a place dedicated to animals and all those who act to protect and advocate for them. Hi, I'm your host, Erica Salvamini, and I'm thrilled and honored to be here representing All About Animals Radio using my voice for the animals. Thank you for joining us for what intends to be a thought-provoking and soul-inspiring series where we discuss topics aimed at understanding the importance of the relationship between empathy, animal rights, and our peaceful coexistence with the animal kingdom. And now on to our show. Hi, today we welcome Devin Show, Campaigns Associate for the Wildlife Conservation and Animal Welfare Organization, Born Free USA. Their mission is to fight against the exploitation of wild animals in captivity. Before achieving her master's in primate conservation in 2019 at Oxford Brookes University, Devin worked for several years as a primate caregiver and veterinary assistant at the Born Free USA Primate Sanctuary in South Texas. In her current role, Devin researches and writes reports on target issues, including the private trade of wild animals, wild animals in captivity, effects of social media on wild animals, the fur trade and trapping. Devin also increases public awareness on these issues by campaigning on various platforms, including social media, blog posts, and podcasts like The Rising Lioness. Hi, De Devin. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Definitely. Um, so tell us a little bit. How did you get started in animal advocacy work? Yeah, so I've always been really passionate about animals, and I knew from a very young age I wanted to go into some line of work that would have me either directly or indirectly dealing with animals in some capacity. So at first, I was thinking that would be a veterinarian, but after all of the <laughs> chemistry and math courses that vets have to take for uh, veterinary school, that quickly changed. And um, I started to get more into animal welfare and wildlife conservation work um, and focusing more on uh, animal needs and captivity and how that relates to um, their behaviors in the wild. So um, I got my undergraduate degree in animal behavior at a small liberal arts college. And um, right after that, I started working at the Born Free Primate Sanctuary in South Texas and that was really my first exposure to seeing victims of um, the wildlife trade and the pet trade um, and animals that had directly come from really traumatic experiences that needed um, a lot of attention and care to uh, rehabilitating them essentially to um, become monkeys again because most of them had never been able to experience really living as a monkey should so um, that was really interesting and it got me thinking how I can, instead of treating the sort of symptoms of a larger problem, which is the primate pet trade, um, which is where we got a lot of our monkeys from, um, I really wanted to start to focus on looking at the source, the causes of why these monkeys end up at uh, primate sanctuaries and why behaviorally they are struggling so much after growing up in that environment. So um, yeah, long story short, I, I went to grad school, did a degree in primate conservation, and then found myself back with Born Free USA in this position as a campaigns associate 
Um, and in this role, I'm able to pay more attention to the root causes of um, legislation, for example, that allows people to own wild animals like primates um, and how that feeds into the wildlife trade, both legal and illegally uh, throughout the world. So um, it's been a little bit of a winding road, but it got me here and um, this position now that I really enjoy. Yeah, it sounds, yeah. It sounds amazing. Yeah. I can relate completely to you know your love of animals and uh, lifelong passion and having that lead you to your destiny. And it sounds like it's with Born for USA and helping um, do, you know, part of that good work that they do, which is really noble work. Um, so I applaud you and everything that, that Born, U Born for USA does. It's just um, really very much needed. And so thank you. And uh, so to that point, I so many questions came up with all that you said, but I'm going to stick to the, the line of questions that I have so that I don't confuse myself or you. <laughs> I'll just ask you what exactly, well, not exactly, but if you could share a little bit about as a campaign associate for Born for USA, what are some of the, the things that you do for them? Yeah, so I, my main job is to research and write reports on topics we want to increase public awareness on. So whether that is issues of um, the wildlife trade, as I brought up earlier, uh, trapping the fur trade, um, animals on social media and how that affects different things. Um, so those are really the core issues that I've been focusing on and um, researching and uh, generating the data to put into reports that we can um, release to the general public and to okay. lawmakers who are able to make changes in terms of legislation that relates to private animal ownership or um, um, even the social media platforms, if we're able to communicate with them in some capacity and get them to change their policy guidelines of what they're allowing on social right. media, um, things like that are the goals exactly. So yeah. um, that's really at the core of what I do. So you're changing hearts and minds out in the public and then also changing legislation or at least supporting that change in legis legislation and trying to get pe the people to be realize, I guess, that they're constituents, they have a voice, that voice should be heard. And because if you're trying to change legislation, the people need to support that change as well. So it, I guess the two go hand in hand, which is all really important. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's gotta be, it's amazing work, but it's got to be frustrating too, right? Because I feel like I'm doing that. We're all doing that. All of us out animal advocacies out here are doing that. And, um, you know, to it feels like increasing the public awareness. It's just like you can never get enough of it. There's not enough to put out. Are there, you know, what other ways are there? Are there, so you have all these amazing reports that you're putting together and you're, you have, you're pushing them out through your website, I guess, and to the public, but what what else can be done with them? Is there anything that, you know, regular people can do to help anybody listening um, in terms of, you know, being becoming more active from their home in their regular everyday life? Yeah, for sure. So we always stress the importance of sharing our resources because that's really the first step is uh, educating people and educating yourself on these issues and why they're problematic, because the example comes again with social media and that there's so much content out there featuring wild animals that doesn't necessarily seem 
to the person who doesn't know a lot about either their species specific behaviors or what their environment is supposed to look like where they evolved, it doesn't necessarily look harmful or abusive or exploitative to the average person. Um, so we really want these resources to number one, educate people. So if we can help spread that as much as we can and get rid of that misinformation that is so prevalent on social media and on the internet in general, that would be an amazing first step. Um, and then also more recently, we've really taken the angle of getting social media users themselves to have more of an active role in um, trying to regulate this content and flag it when it's problematic um, because the platforms are a lot slower to respond to wanting to change their policies and wanting to monitor these things and take them down if we say that they're problematic, but they don't necessarily agree based on the guidelines they have in place now. So um, we've kind of put out more resources and campaigning tools more recently that put more power in the average person and the average user to just say, look, these are the things that you need to look for in terms of content that featured wild animals. And this is how you can know it's problematic. And these are the steps you can take to let the social media platform know about this problem. That's great. I love that. I think that's a fabulous idea. I'm going to start, you know, I say things, you know, on there when I see stuff like that, like that's, you know, that animal's not supposed to be there. What are you doing? You know, or whatever, but that doesn't really do anything. I guess um, it's more important to actually reach out to the platform itself and say, hey, this isn't right. And this is why, and I don't like it. And please do something about it. And if everybody starts to do that, I mean, I can, I actually see like billboards out in the highway where, you know, they have built, you know, PSAs about put your phone down, don't be texting. Well, maybe there should be things about social media uh, content out there too, because yeah, a lot of times people don't realize um, initially when new things start, you're just like, oh, you're kind of mindlessly going through life and oh, there's a cute, you know, tiger in somebody's house and being pet and <laughs> how sweet the baby's playing with the, the, the baby tiger. And it's like, no, wait, this isn't normal. This isn't supposed to be. And, you know, remind people and let them know, don't become numb to this stuff. It's not, it's not normal. Let's not normalize it. Exactly. And people don't oftentimes realize how many animals are being harmed by extension. So you might just be watching one baby tiger in that video, but how many other baby tigers are going into that trade um, and that cycle of abuse just from the demand increasing from more people seeing that kind of content and seeing, oh, look, tigers are harmful to play with. Um, they're not dangerous at all. They're not threatened in the wild. These are all of the sort of false beliefs that people develop after seeing this content. And like you said, it becomes so normalized yeah. after seeing it so much that people don't realize there's thousands of animals being exploited for every one that you're looking at in a video that becomes viral. Yeah, terrific. And then once they're not cute, you know, kittens that you can actually touch and play before they start trying to maul you, what ends up happening to them then? You know, roadside zoos at, at the best you know, that's the best case scenario, which is a horrendous exploitative industry as well, or killed or, you know, ground up for their bones for, you know, Chinese medicine or stuff like that. So yeah, I, I don't mean to get graphic, but, you know, people do need to understand and um, that's kind of, uh, it's a lot, but yeah, we can all do something and that's the good news, right? So we can all, you know, be advocates. We can use our voice. We can educate ourselves. And it starts with stuff like this, um, where we can have conversations and we can drive people to your website and have them look at some of the reports. 
Um, to that point, I wanted to ask, is, is there any legislation that um, Born for USA is, I know that there is, that you've helped to, to make changes um, you know, for creating new legislation for helping animals. But yes, yeah, we've been involved in a number of um, initiatives over the years. So most recently, actually, uh, last week, new legislation was introduced that prohibits the farming of mink for their fur, which uh, fur farming has been something we've campaigned about for years and years. Um, so the bill is called the Mink Virus Act, and it seeks to protect public health and human safety by implementing a one-year phase-out period of all domestic mink farms. And it also implements a program to compensate those farmers as they transition out of the fur farming industry. Wow. Um, so that's really huge. And uh, we're really hoping to get a lot of traction behind that bill. And we're urging everyone we can to reach out to their um, local Congress representative and just tell them to support that bill because it would be really huge for the United States because okay. As a country, we are very far behind in um, banning mink farming, uh, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic in Europe. A number of countries have taken the initiative to ban it uh, just as a response to public health. So um, it's really important that we get up to speed in terms of that. Um, and then another one that uh, was also pretty recent, it was back in December of 2022, um, the Big Hat Public Safety Act was passed, which was huge because um, yeah, it was it was amazing. So that bill basically banned the private ownership and public interaction with most big cat species. So um, born free alone, um, in, in addition to you know uh, other organizations and individual citizens and champions on Capitol Hill, all together had been campaigning for that bill to be passed for 10 years. Yeah. So um, it was first introduced in 2012. So it was a long time coming and lots of work over the years. Um, so it's just a huge win. And um, that was really incredible to see and uh, very exciting for us. And it'll help, you know, curb horrible things like the cub petting industry um, and canned hunts, things like that. Um, and then the other big one I just wanted to mention is the Captive Primate Safety Act, which was introduced in May of 2021. Um, and so it hasn't really gotten very far. It's supposed to be reintroduced the next congressional se session. Um, so that bill will basically do the same thing as the Big Cat Public Safety Act, but with primate species. So it will um, ban the private ownership of primate species and the public interaction with them throughout the country. That's amazing. Congratulations on the wins. Uh, you know, yeah. Big Cat Public Safety Act. Yeah, it was huge. It was tremendous. I was going to ask you about that. So um, thank you. I didn't know about the mink virus one. Um, so when is that supposed to be or was introduced already? Yeah, it was just introduced last week. Oh. So, yeah. So it's okay. very, very new. Okay. Did you put out a post at all on that? Because I would absolutely love to help support that. And I'll, I'll take, I'll take a look myself. Yeah, we just did today, actually, just this okay. morning. So oh, wow. yeah, everything's new. <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, I'll help do my my part and um, support that. Great, thank you. Of course, that's amazing. And my next question was going to be a little bit about the primate, um, public the captive primate safety act. So thank you for bringing that up. I know that you because you started with primate as a primate caregiver for Born Free USA. Um, 
you know, it's probably your heart is probably in that a lot um, even deeper and more so, uh, you know, not that that takes precedence over all this other work, but um, I'm sure that's near and dear to your heart. And I know that you created, or at least you were in part, um, part a creator of the Finding Sanctuary documentary, the one uh, called Life After the Primate Pet Trade. And I watched that recently, which was an amazing movie. I highly recommend anybody go and see that. It's only about, I think, 20 minutes long and it's really important and really astonishing. Like it really tells you and shows you what happens, which is exactly what you were just telling us about in the beginning of this podcast, how these animals, these poor monkeys, who many of them don't even make it out alive, right? Because they're going to do what monkeys do, which is pick fights and um, attack whoever they're hanging out with, which in this case are humans who have chosen to take these monkeys that are supposed to be wild animals and make them their own companion pets. And they're making them do unnatural, un, you know, abnormal things monkeys shouldn't be doing, wearing you know, they have leashes around their neck, they have clothes on, they're living life with these humans as though they're their children or companions. And so the few that do get rescued, it's not a fairy tale ending, is it? Is is how the the documentary describes it. And what you what you see is not a fairy tale ending because they end up with OCD and they have to spend the rest of their life recovering in a sanctuary, which sounds really nice, but that's a living hell still because some of them are self-harming and hurting themselves just because of the, the trauma that's been done. Same thing as that, you know, humans, when we're traumatized, we have our own journey to recover and heal from. And these are animals and they have their own, you know, behavioral issues now that, that come as a result of what's been done to them. So um, I, I don't know that must have been challenging for you to make that movie and, you know, kind of go through all of that again. Right. Yeah. It's, it's always challenging to see um, the damage, the irreversible damage that has been done to these monkeys from the time they were babies. Um, it's always challenging to witness that, but I knew that the importance of making that documentary really outweighed that uncomfortable feeling I had um, throughout making it because um, as a caregiver, like you, you do develop a sort of, um, it's not like you ever become numb to it because it never really loses its impact when you see them carry out these behaviors, the self-harm, um, like the really troubled expats oftentimes will bite themselves or pluck their hair out, or you'll see them rocking or just pacing a lot. Um, so it's, it's always very troubling to see, but you also develop a sort of, okay, like as sad as it is, this is kind of their normal and we do everything we can to lessen the experience of those behaviors. So we'll give them things like enrichment, we'll try to vary the, their social opportunities as much as we can and vary their environment um, to keep it stimulating and lessen the boredom that they might experience where these behaviors would really um, increase. But um, yeah, for the most part, you just, unfortunately, you just get used to seeing it as a caregiver um, and just trying to do the best you can for them. But um, it was actually also really kind of nice for me to go back there and see all of the monkeys I used to work with because 
a part of me does really miss that direct uh, animal interaction that I had as a caregiver. So it was almost like a reunion for me. Um, <laughs> and it was nice because, yeah, it was like one of my first big projects I had. Um, coincidentally, after I left working at the primate sanctuary, it was actually focused on the primate sanctuary and primates in general. So it kind of coincidentally worked out that it was like a very soft transition into this new position where I wasn't working with the, well, I was supposed to not be working with the monkeys at all, but I ended up going back and seeing them and getting the footage. Um, and we had the opportunity to work with a wonderful filmmaker named Jack Wooden. Uh, he did a great job capturing everything. So it was definitely bittersweet, but I'm really glad that we were able to get that footage and put it out just to increase that awareness. Yeah. I can see how that would be uh, pretty fulfilling. So it was a beautiful, beautiful piece. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, full circle moment for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and so I wanted to ask you next, the last time we spoke, you were telling me about an aquarium report that was being worked on and you explained how fish are some of the most exploited animals in the world. And I think if I remember correctly, is that your kitty? Yes. <laughs> I was going to warn you at the beginning, but recently she hasn't been duty. Yeah. very active. Yeah, you can hear her meowing. <laughs> awesome. I have an orange cat floating around here too. So if he you know, <laughs> see a, a tail in the way. Um, the Yeah, you had said, I think 80% or something like that of the fish don't even make it out alive during transportation. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's correct. Um, there's pretty much during transport of the private trade, um, the mortality rate has been documented to exceed 80%. So um, any of that can range from just stress of transport or capture, injury, disease, or mistreatment. Um, so it's a really high number. And unfortunately, most percentages of mortality have been not quite that high, but also very high for other species as well in the wildlife trade. Wow. That's super upsetting. Um, when you say, you know, so this is an aquarium report, is that, and you say fish, what includes that? Like, are we talking about the big, big animals? They're, they're actually mammals, um, whales and dolphins, and or are we talking strictly about fish? So for this report, we're actually talking only about fish, which still includes thousands of species. Um, so of course we don't go in depth with, with um, that many species for this report, but um, we wanted to really focus on fish and not mammals, marine mammals, because um, we just feel like fish have been very neglected from the welfare discussion for a long time now. And um, we, want, we wanted to give them that spotlight and um, make sure that people are also aware of the struggle of fish. Um, because I think the tendency for humans is to sort of overlook um, welfare issues with fish because they're so different from us. And, um, you know, their, what their life looks like, their appearance is just so different from us that we are a lot of the time almost unable to empathize with them. Yeah. or consider them to have a similar experience to us um, that would involve suffering. Right. But what the data is showing uh, actually confirms that they are a lot more similar to us than we ever thought was possible before. Um, and we really just want to shed light on that with this report and emphasize that as much as we campaign for 
removing species like elephants or giraffes or polar bears, um, like large wide ranging mammals from captivity, from zoos. We also want to make the same argument for fish species as well, because they have most of the same health issues and welfare issues um, as a lot of the larger animals that we focus more on. That's incredible. I think that's really, really beautiful. I'm sure the fish really appreciate you finally giving them their day. And so are you saying that fish are sentient beings as well? As For sure. They feel and they, wow, that's incredible. And does, the report goes into that and talks about that. That's awesome. Yes. Is yeah. That, is that out already or is that almost not yet? No, we will release it um, within the next few months. So yeah, definitely keep a lookout for that. But um, yeah, there's we we cover a lot of different topics from um, legislation regarding fish and captivity, which it turns out there is basically none of um, other than just farming um, and aquaculture, um, things that protect uh, fish from disease spread and completely depleting the populations that we eat a lot of. <laughs> Um, that's basically the only legislation in place to protect fish, uh, from a welfare standpoint, there is none. So, um, if you, for example, are a private exhibitor, like you have a zoo, and even if you own a lot of fish, you still are not required, uh, to get any type of license or have the fish registered in any way. Um, you don't need to document the transfer of these animals, the breeding, um, there's no requirements for like minimum tank sizes. None of that. Right. So it's completely 100% unregulated. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Like most of the animal industries that exist. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It's uh, got to gotta keep working at it, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to ask you about some other um, like wild animals in captivity stuff that you're working on, but I happened to notice you had a new report i think it was a new report called thrill killing on your site or yes that, yeah that's upsetting that I, I that's the i mean it makes me shudder but i'm glad that you have that up and that you did a report on this can you share a little bit about what that is yeah definitely so this report summarizes um what we're referring to as thrill killing, which is essentially just killing mass numbers of animals, some of them that are protected species that are threatened with extinction uh, in the wild. And we document the way that these animals are killed on mass um, throughout the country, because in 42 United States, um, these types of competitions are completely legal. So it's anything from a rattlesnake roundup where people are encouraged to um, find as many rattlesnakes as they can, um, where they're killed um, basically in a pit uh, at a venue to um, bobcat killing contests where people are encouraged to get the biggest bobcat they can find. Um, a lot of these contests don't have any kinds of limits. Um, so it's just incredibly damaging and um, doesn't do anything for conservation whatsoever, um, mm -hmm. especially in in terms of the, the wild pigs that are in Texas. Uh, the argument has been made that the killing competitions help 
wildlife conservation, but there has been evidence that suggests that it actually does the opposite um, and increases the populations. Um, the populations rebuild right after these competitions. So um, it's just not scientifically founded and it's um, hunting just quote for the fun of killing animals. That's uh, yeah, that's an excuse. And you know, I remember from my abnormal psych class in college that thrill killing, like, you know, killing animals just for fun was considered sociopathic. And yes. I don't know where that changed. I don't know what's happened in our world, in society, where it is not only not considered sociopathic, but this behavior is being, you know, encouraged and it's actually becoming a money-making industry. So what's going on in the world? Like what's happening? How is this, this is becoming popularized. This is, you know, what is it? I, I see this increasing exponentially since COVID. It started a little bit before, but ever since then, you know, and you don't see it just here in the United States, you see it all over the world, which is actually why I started doing this podcast in the first place. I've always been an animal advocate um, and, you know, somewhat of an activist, but it seems like we've all had to come alive and, and really start to invigorate and become active. And as much as there, the exploitation is happening, I, you know, the good news is you see all these animal advocates coming out and like really going to work because we have to, because it does feel like a genocide is happening. And I don't say that lightly. I, it really does seem to be what, I, what we're witnessing, I think. And can you talk to that a little bit? Like what's, the psychology behind this? What's, does some of the report that you're, that you have thrill killing talk about some of this stuff? Yes. Um, there is actually one competition I kind of already mentioned that comes to mind, which is, uh, the Sweetwater Rattlesnake Roundup, um, which essentially people are encouraged to, um, round up as many rattlesnakes as they can. And it's resulted in the collection and death of um, and they actually measure the rattlesnakes in pounds instead of individuals, which is also concerning. But um, in one year, it was recorded that they had 24,262 pounds of rattlesnakes. Um, and so they kill all of these rattlesnakes. And uh, it's it's actually sponsored by um, this organization, uh, which is a youth leadership development organization. Um, Very nice. And that's what yeah, the youth. exactly. <laughs> yes, it's called the Junior Chamber International, um, JCI. I'm sorry. I cut you off. Can you repeat that again? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, it's, it's a youth leadership organization. It's called Junior Chamber International or JCI. Um, and they essentially define themselves as a grassroots movement of young active citizens um, starting at age 18, who are dedicated to creating positive change in communities around the world. Um, and it claims to empower young people. Yeah, yeah. And so organizations- young people to murder, mass murder animals. This is yeah. astounding. Okay. Yeah. Go, go on. <laughs> yeah. And this is just one, one little tidbit that we found from our undercover investigation. Um, they had- really troubling things happen at this rattlesnake roundup. Like one, one of the things, the activities they had for the kids was to uh, paint their hands in rattlesnake blood and have them put handprints all around like a mural. 
Um, so it's a lot of just really so this concerning. Isn't even, yeah, this isn't even adults. This is they're like indoctrinating young people to mass murder animals, um, create Correct. future sociopaths. This Correct. is really yeah. disturbing. I didn't know that this was going on. I'm going to read that report as hard as it will be for me to do. And I will further act by putting out um, some posts on it because this is really just so upsetting. Um, yeah. You have to become hardened to do this work, don't you, Devin? A little bit. A little bit, yeah. But that definitely didn't make reading this report any less difficult. Um, my supervisor actually led this report and um, just... Yeah, um, it's it's really heartbreaking what is legal. Um, and we do discuss um, the fact that things that are still legal today aren't necessarily right, um, you know? So it just goes back to, um, you know, with, with animals, it's, <laughs> you need to think of them as individual beings and just the fact that they're measuring them as just, a lump, you know, weight just goes to show that there's no value at all whatsoever on these individual lives. And um, we did actually reach out to that youth organization a couple of times for a comment, but they never returned our uh, request. So um, yeah, it would be interesting to hear what they would say to try to justify that. But in my opinion, there's just no no way to justify something like that. There, there is no justification. You're absolutely right. And so it does not surprise me that they did not respond back to you because what could they possibly say? Right. Um, yeah. So my gosh, I, I, on that note, we have to find a positive way to end our <laughs> podcast together because it is really important to, you know, let people know that their, their voice is important. And what they do matters. All of us, what we do matters. You know, living consciously, um, being consciously aware of our actions every day matters to the world, matters to the animals right now more than ever. So what you're doing, Devin, and what Born for USA is doing and other organizations, like, do you ever work with organizations um, like to join forces like PETA or any of these other to do these like monster, you know, uh, legislative moves? Yeah, absolutely. We actually, we collaborate with several organizations pretty regularly, just either if it's drafting a bill like the Mink Virus Act bill that was just introduced. Um, we've drafted similar legislation um, with coalitions that involve several organizations similar to Born Free um, that have all had some kind of role in uh, developing things like that. Um, it's interesting you, you mentioned PETA because we actually, um, are working with them still, it's an ongoing effort, but uh, we're working with them to rescue more than a thousand monkeys that were taken from the wild for laboratory exploitation, um, who could be sold back to labs for further experimentation. Um, so uh, it's actually um, related to this case where the US Department of Justice subpoenaed Charles River Laboratories um, with news reporting that up to a thousand of their juvenile long-tailed macaques at the company's primate center may have been illegally taken from the wild. I remember. So, yes, we've done a lot of publicity on that case and um, we're still, we wouldn't be able to, um, Born Free, the primate sanctuary, wouldn't be able to take quite all a thousand of them, but 
um, we have been speaking with um, Fish and Wildlife Service and um, trying to iron out some logistics that could uh, lead to us being involved more with that rescue, but um, we're still waiting to hear back on a final decision. But that is something we've been campaigning for pretty actively just to rescue these monkeys um, from basically a life sentence of lab research. So um, that's another really recent project we've been involved with. That's amazing. I wish you all the luck in the world and I send you lots of uh, love and light blessings towards that. Thank you. Um, yeah. And did you said, you mentioned the monkey fur trade, but then you mentioned the laboratories. Does that mean they were rescued from a fur trade organization and now they're looking down the barrel of maybe going to be sold to laboratories for, is that what, did I misunderstand that? Oh, so the, the fur bill is for minks. Okay. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I, I thought you had said that with regards to the monkeys. So the monkeys mm -hmm. are totally separate. Um, they're yes, like totally separate laboratories. Mm -hmm. Got it. I understand. Right. So hopefully you guys will be able to find other sanctuaries for them, right? So that they can live out their life, well, recovering really from, you know, but at least they've been rescued from the labs now. So there's that. Yeah, we're still we're still kind of in conversation with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to figure out the logistics of what that rescue would look like. But so until then, we're not sure. So they're still like. there in the lab. Okay, I understand. Got it. So hopefully, hopefully that goes through. All right. I'll yeah, maybe we can stay in touch on that. And um, there's so much to talk about, and there's always going to be stuff to talk about because this isn't something that's going away anytime soon. Hopefully, it will improve and will continue to improve with the like the work that you're doing and other organizations like Born for USA. And I hope you'll come back again and maybe talk to us again with an update on um, the, the latest reports that you guys are working on. So you always have a, an invitation here. And I really appreciate that because uh, the work that you're doing, the work that your organization is doing is so needed and helping promote this to regular people who are listening and want to do something to make life better for all of us here on the planet as well as for the animals because really we are all just one and we all are sharing this planet together so it it does really you know behoove all of us to do the right thing and treat them well because without them we can't really survive can we exactly yeah so well thank you Devin it was a pleasure I really enjoyed our talk today it goes so fast and I encourage everyone to go on to our podcast profile. You can check out Born for USA and check out that Primates um, documentary and keep an eye on what Born for USA is doing and get involved every day. Every day, we should all use our voice for the animals. And thank you. And we'll see you again next time, I hope. Absolutely. Yes. We'd love to be back. Great. Thanks, Devin. I'll see you next time. Have a good Thanks one. Thanks so much. You too. Bye, everybody. Thank you. This has been Erica Salvamini for the Rising Lioness podcast on All About Animals Radio. A special thank you to Chris Corley for generously lending us his song, Zero Gravity, for the Rising Lioness podcast theme. Please take a moment to write a review for our show as it helps others to find us. Please also support our guests and their work 
All About Animals Radio and our social networks. Doing this further supports the animals and their advocates too, thereby making you an Animal Kingdom warrior also. You can find our links on the Rising Lioness podcast page. Until next time, in the words of Sharon Nunez, Animal Equality President, remember this, the small actions of one passionate individual can create a butterfly effect leading to a movement that has the power to change the world. Please use your voice for the animals today.